back, everybody, to Party Talk, where we empower leaders in youth drug prevention. That's right. This episode, I'm super stoked about. We talk with Joel Rathman. This guy is so fun. He is a school counselor in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We actually met in college, didn't talk much, but got reconnected. And this is such a fun conversation. We actually had to split it up into two episodes. So please enjoy part one. You're going to hear some funny stories and some great tips. If you're a school counselor or if you work with students, really ways to build a culture and to talk with your students and just to recognize the power that you have as a school counselor to influence their lives. So enjoy. Tell, uh, you can tell me too, but tell everyone just a little bit about yourself growing up. Like who is Joel and where are you at now? <laughs> so deep. Okay. Uh, so if you can't tell by my accent, I am from Wisconsin. Uh, and I grew up in the suburbs, um, outside of Wisconsin, like a Southwest-ish region. Um, and I, when I was in school, I was really, um, trying to find my identity and trying to find myself. Um, so it's fun to be a high school counselor. And I'm also, um, there's a middle school on the upper floor. So seeing the middle schoolers at that age too, cause it's just such a, it's such a fun and spicy age, but <laughs> I see. I, yeah, I, I, that's, that's what I tell people whenever they ask me, they're, they're like, well, what do you, what do you think about middle schoolers? I'm like, they're spicy. Like, you know, like, like some people enjoy the spice too, but you know, other people, it's just too hot. I'm going to use that. That's good. Oh yeah. Um, but I was really trying to find myself and my, my brothers were into sports. Um, um, I felt that that like, cause my, my dad at least was really, uh, gung ho on the sports. Like he would attend all the athlete athletic events, but I was really into music. Um, and singing was my jam. And when I was in high school, um, I was in the musicals. I was, um, in chorus, um, I was in solo ensemble, all this stuff. And when I went to college, I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do. Um, because my family was running their own business. So they're like, ah, you don't need college. Just, you know, stick to the family business. And I'm like, no, I, I, I like learning. Um, and so I wanted to continue that. So I jumped from major to major, but I was always taking music classes. And, um, that's what led me to sing, um, professionally and pursue a degree in music. Cause after I heard, uh, one of my colleagues sing opera for the first time. And it blew my mind. And I was like, I want to be able to do that. And uh, so then I just kept pursuing it. And people were telling me, oh, you're not going to make any money. You're not going to, you know, whatever. But I didn't care because I was just <laughs> so excited about the, like, performing professionally and, um, like, traveling and stuff like that. And it led me to grad school. And I did get a little taste of that. I, I traveled around the Midwest. I performed professionally with um, various companies in Illinois or Iowa. Um, and after grad school, um, yeah, actually, well, it kind of like gave me this like vision moment or I, I don't know, like, like light bulb moment was when my mom had stage four breast cancer. And it was right on the last year of my graduate studies and something clicked i don't know what but i i just realized i'm like i don't know if i want to do this for the rest of my life um to be like away from my family and away from my loved ones and um 
So after grad school, I finished, I moved back home. I, I helped my mom out and, um, sang around the Milwaukee area, but didn't go too crazy with it. And I was kind of lost. I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do with my life. Um, so I kind of started getting into the family business, but then I met Martha and my wife, and she really inspired me to, um, go back to school because she was going back to school as a PT and she's like, well, we're the same age. Like, why, why would you just try try again? I'm like, I did seven years of school. I don't want to do any more of that. <laughs> and, and then I, we were kind of like brainstorming, nitpicking, like, what would I go back to school for? Like, what do I enjoy doing? And what I enjoyed doing the most when my professional career was doing this children's show in Madison and connecting with kids and like showing them what music can look like, um, kind of educating them on how awesome it is and then also when i was giving voice lessons um fun little secret about voice lessons is that they they often turn into like pseudo therapy sessions and the reason behind that is because the the voice is the most sensitive instrument in my opinion and that's what i've heard from other people is because if if something goes wrong it's you so it's a little bit more connected and a little bit more touchy feely. And that's why, um, singers have a personality. Trumpet players have a personality, you know, all like the stereotypes <laughs> or whatever. Uh, but I enjoyed the part of like processing things with people and talking through things and listening. And, um, I, I was telling my wife about her, my, she was my girlfriend at the time, but, uh, I was telling my now wife about it and she's like, why'd you go into school counseling? And I thought, well, I have gone back to higher education for nine years. Like clearly I love education. I love learning stuff. Um, I love the school systems and I love kids and I love helping kids out. And I, I thought back to my school counselor too, um, who was just kind of, kind of absent and didn't really like guide me or or really push me towards my goals or you know if if i mentioned i mentioned the professional singer thing too and they were like that's that's a good idea but let's let's do this and it was just <laughs> like but you know maybe i want to do that I, and so i just didn't want i i kind of wanted to be a, a a guiding tool for students to help them out and that's what led me to where I am. And now it's my second year as a school counselor. And, um, I really enjoy the work I do. I really enjoy connecting with the kids and having those light bulb moments, those conversations. Um, even if they're just like, you know, come into my office, all disgruntled and, you know, oh, my mom's the worst, and, you know, just really frustrated. And it's like, okay, let's process this with your teenage mind. Like, this is fun. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much uh, everything up to this point in a short condensed version. <laughs> uh, I love that. I love that you said yes to something new, went back to school. Uh, I love that your music and teaching actually taught you lessons about, like you said, sharing yourself and sounds like even being vulnerable and finding out who you are. It seems like you went through a journey oh, yeah. and now you get to help other students navigate those same waters which i mean yeah what middle school and high schooler you know that is trying to figure things out 
walks into their guidance counselor's office and gets you, somebody who's going to listen to them, is going to say, oh yeah, my parents thought my career path was crazy too, but it led me to where I am today. And I had fun along the way, you know, mm-hmm. to, and to listen. Cause I think what I heard you say about your school counselor experiences, they just didn't really listen to you. Instead, they had their agenda, which maybe was kind of like your parents' agenda, which is probably, well, that's not going to pay. So maybe you should think of something they might say is more realistic. Yeah. That's, I mean, I think adults, we tend to do that. We want, we want you to be safe. We want you to be secure. So don't go after those big dreams. Don't go after that risky career. Uh, Try this one instead, but forget like how soul crushing that is as a kid. (laughs) And that's the journey getting there will probably just lead you to your next thing. Um, and create it just like blind dating, maybe create a better story. So (laughs) that's so cool. So tell me in the, I'm curious in, since school was, you know, a couple of years behind, you've been in the role for two years. Is there, if you can remember this, yeah. Is there anything that you learn going from, you know, that masters you were doing music that correlates or is helpful within the counseling field when you got your second degree? Was there any like similarities where you're like, oh, that's connected or that's weird? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I feel that people really undervalue um, and underestimate music because there's a lot of correlations with music that can go into the real world. And quite frankly, if you ever come across a musician, just hire them because they're the most responsible people on the planet because one, they have to learn entire symphonic works or in my case, operas um, in a completely different language. They have to translate it. They have to know the notes. They have to know the the rhythms. They have to know um, the staging. They have to know all this crazy stuff and that can be applied to wherever you end up. So that amount of dedication, that amount of work, focus, um, kind of pseudo-perfectionism, um, yeah. like when you're aiming towards that goal, it really aligns to wherever you end up, and especially school counseling, because you're accountable for, um, like my caseload is roughly 400 kids. Um, I have to manage their academic career planning. I have to make sure that I'm available for social emotional learning or social emotional moments that come uh, day to day. Um, I also am the eighth grade recruiter. So um, within the district I work in, it's open enrollment. So middle schoolers can pick and choose which high school they want to go to. Um, So my job is to go out and recruit eighth graders to come to um, my high school. And... uh, Uh, There's just so many hats that a school counselor wears that I think that being a musician, you have to wear a lot of hats too because you're singing different genres, you're um, singing different languages, you're um, doing different styles, performances. I mean, just always have to be on and stuff like that. So I think the the work ethic really uh, transitions or um, transferred from music to school counseling. And then the emotional stuff, the artistry behind, you know, being in touch with your emotions, being able to emote those emotions, listen to other um, ensemble members as you're singing, um, you know, as you're collaborating and stuff like that. That transitions to school counseling as you're listening to your students, you're listening to the staff members because you, what I'm learning more and more, and they kind of told us that, you know, about this in school, but the, the school counselor is really the glue in the building. 
they're the bridge between students and staff and admin and stuff like that. So we're the voice for students and we kind of are that middle person to kind of negotiate for the, on behalf of the students and almost translate teenage lingo into adult lingo. Cause sometimes you'll, you'll say exactly what the student said and a, a staff member will be like, oh, well, they don't, they don't, you know, they're just 16. They don't know what they're talking about. But then if you kind of reframe their words to adult kind of, you know, <laughs> yes. language, then all of a sudden their tune changes. And so it's just fun navigating those waters. Um, and I think that's how those, those degrees kind of, um, mesh together. Yeah. Wow. There it is. Another one. You're translating languages for your opera. And now you're translating spicy middle school, high school language to staff. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Yeah. I want to, I want to pivot over to talking a little bit about, uh, substance use prevention. And so far, I mean, we've talked about social emotional learning, which is huge. And I think just in that teenage years, finding yourself, we know what students are going through because, and you're in the counseling field, so you're seeing it every day. And so I'm curious in a, you know, in a place like Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the beer, beer making capital, <laughs> I don't know if it's the capital, but still, um, in Wisconsin culture, it's all about beer. Mm-hmm. As far as the culture goes, um, how do you think, like, what are your students seeing as far as drug use? Um, and maybe like how the culture plays into that, just want to pick your brains on, on what students are facing in Wisconsin. Yeah, sure. So at least I, I can't speak for the, the whole state, but at least at my school and my location of 400 students, the population is predominantly Latinx and then, um, or Hispanic, my apologies. Um, and then African-American black, um, and then it goes on from there, uh, I think Asian, um, Native American white. So there's a smorgasbord of people at the, at the school, but we are also predominantly low SES or social economic status. So a lot of our students are, um, struggling financially in their families as well. So the biggest hurdle that we have with our students is not so much drug abuse, which I was going into it. I was honestly shocked because I grew up in a school district where alcohol was a major problem and it was um like kids coming in high and you know stuff like that so I was thinking I was going into it expecting and this is where I need to check my bias when I when it's going into the profession but I'm like well it's in the city of course there's going to be issues of course there's you know whatever but what I found is that these kids the the biggest hurdle that they have within in front of them is the financial burden. So a lot of kids, instead of focusing on school, they focus on work and they prioritize work over everything else. So what I can say about my students wholeheartedly is that they're probably the hardest working kids I've ever met. Their focus is just on the financial gain and the short-term goal instead of the long-term goal in academics and what academics could lead them to. Yeah. And as far as drug use in the school, our school is pretty, pretty well managed in the sense that they're the, the worst that happens is a kid will come in and they'll smell of marijuana and, 
in those instances, unfortunately, and the sad truth is, is that there's not much follow-up because you can't test them, you can't um, anything like that. If you have speculation, maybe you can search through their locker or something like that. Um, but more often than not, kids will not bring stuff to school. Um, they usually do it before school. And for those kids, those those are the ones that more often than not do not have a job or they do not have like all they have is school and that's they're they're choosing to do that route do what um uh that's uh i'm not i'm not sure if you're familiar with resma um mccann I, I think that's how you say his name uh, he wrote a book called my grandmother's hands and he talks about how uh there's clean pain for trauma and then there's dirty pain for trauma so clean pain is, or dirty pain is um, using substances to numb the pain. And it's quick, it's easy, but it's dirty. And some of our students, I feel, use that instead of the other students, a majority of them, which use clean pain, where they prioritize work and they they um, are you know fixated on getting money and, and providing for their families. You talk to them and the majority of them are like, I mean, I, I need to help my mom with the bills or I need to, I need to make sure my dad has enough for rent or I need to, you know, whatever. And they just don't have the time for the drugs, quite frankly, um, which is shocking. But when, when I do come across kids that are struggling with, um, drug abuse and whatnot, I, I often have them come into my office, um, just talk to them. I mean, I, I really just kind of, I'm there to listen. I'm not there to judge. I'm not there to be like, dude, you smell like pot. Like what's going on? Like, I don't, I don't do that. I just, I'm like, how are you doing? And they just flat out the simple question is that of like, how are you? Mm-hmm. And more often, I mean, sometimes you'll get those kids that are, you know, very like, oh, fine. I need all, we'll just be like resistant and whatever. Why'd you um, call me in here? I'm yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but then often what I find is when I just very calmly and I, I, I even offer before I even ask how they're doing, I, I just offer like, hey, I got I got like a granola bar. Do you want one? Or, you know, I, I have. Do, can I get you something to drink? And, and they're like, my office is a home and I welcome yeah. them. In, and then I ask them how they're doing and how, how are you feeling lately? And more often than not, kids will be like, I'm not doing good, Mr. Rathman. I'm really struggling. And I'll be like, well, what's going on? And they'll be like, I'm just not sleeping. I, you know, I got this going on at home or X, Y, and Z. And, and then I'll say, what do, what do you, you know, how, how, what, what do you notice helps? And what I am hopeful for is that kids are very open about their drug use, mm-hmm. um, which I was not expecting in my first couple of years. A lot of kids are just very open to the fact they're like, well, Mr. Rathman, I, I smoke weed. Like, oh, okay, well, how, how much do you smoke? And kind of like just figure out what, why they do it. And, you know, kind of ask them questions without judgment. Um, but I haven't come across a lot of students with alcohol, I would say, marijuana. I know I'm kind of talking in circles, but <laughs> oh, this is, this yeah. Is mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's insightful um, because enlightening i don't know if that's a word enlightful but sure yeah (laughs) um is that what i'm hearing is that students they're they're using maybe not to 
you know, an extraordinary amount that it's your whole population, but that it, it's happening on campus, you know, whether it's yeah. before, before school, after school. And what's really interesting is that there's students who are, you know, providing for their families. They might feel like they're more of an adult because they're, they have these responsibilities. Well, I have to have this job after school. And so they don't have time to use, which I would say is a, a great thing. Like you said, it's that clean option. Right. Or it's not dirty. And that's really great. They're probably learning a lot of skills, you know, and working in teams and their jobs. And they have a sense of responsibility, which in our country, it seems like our responsibility is delayed until even after college. So right. it, it feels like, oh, you're not an adult until you're 23, 22, 23 years old. Whereas they're at an age 15, 16, and they're learning responsibility, which is, it's kind of more like the olden times, you know, when right. you get a job when you're a teenager and help out the family. Um, and they're not sitting around saying, oh, I'm, I'm bored or, uh, I have nothing to do. And so you think, well, what can I get into or how can I solve this boredom? Oh, the quick thing is just to get high or that's what my friends are doing is they're like, oh no, I have goals. I, I need to provide for my family. I've got to do these things. And so they get, they don't get the easy way out. They actually get the hard way out, which is building character and it's developing skill sets, which is really, really cool. On the other hand, it might be adding some stress and things to their life, which if they don't have those continued clean outlets that they can learn from you, then there might be a time in their mind when they say, oh, well, how do adults deal with stress? Oh, they get drunk or they get high. And so those, they might decide, well, I'll consider those things. Uh, but there's, it sounds like there's a spectrum of, of different people on your campus and experiences from the ones who are getting high before school to the ones that don't have time to use. Right. Exactly. And then when I, for, for those kids that also don't have jobs or, or they don't have those stressors or they, or their families are within a financial comfort, I kind of then gear them towards, okay, what do you want to do after high school? And then I, I always lead with, I, I know that's the typical question, you know, Mr. Why you had asked that. And I like joke about it. I laugh about it because it's funny. Because I always tell kids too, like, it's always going to change. I was an opera singer and then I became a school counselor. Like, it, it's going to change no matter what. Um, where you start off, like, you take whatever skills you gain from wherever you, you know, start off and you grow with it. And so what I encourage kids to do, because a lot of our students have access to a lot of opportunities that most students don't have, like pre-college programs that cost thousands of dollars but because of their financial situation, they can get it for free. So I tell kids to like, even if you're remotely interested in college, do a pre-college program. Like go, like they, they'll take you to UW Washkosh, our alma mater, like, and they have business stuff and whatever. If you hate it, you learn something. You don't want to go to college. That's fine. Or you don't want to go to that particular campus. Or if you love it, then you... Well, you know, maybe you want to pursue that like in young entrepreneurship or, um, like sciences or whatever. Um, so I, I always try to gear kids away from just like, I'm going to go home and do nothing. I feel like a busy body is always a better body. Yeah, that's good. I think, 
I, I can resonate with that. Like the first thing that I do in our curriculum and in our presentation is ask that same question. What do you want your life to look like five, 10 years down the road? Because if you can imagine that you can have a great future, now you have a reason to make good decisions because mm -hmm. you want to achieve those things. But if you can't imagine yourself in a better situation, then honestly, it's like, well, why wouldn't I use drugs? Like I literally only have this moment to please myself. So yeah, I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to get high. And so giving them that vision and that foundation is so important because it holds them accountable to their own future and gives them hope that they can achieve it. So it's just really cool to hear you say that, that even coming into your office, they're getting that, that message that you can do what you want. There are people around here who are willing to invest in you. Thank you. College prep programs. I mean, even your, what's so cool about the counseling role. And actually now I'm curious about it. If there was a time when school counselors weren't doing this kind of work, like they were, <laughs> they were literally only around to get you to college or, um, Cause you know how today there's sometimes there's a prevention specialist at the school. Yeah. It's only select places because oftentimes it's grant funded. It'll last three to five years and then it could be gone if you don't build it sustainably into your, you know, school district. And so maybe there'll be a time in the future where that's everywhere. Wasn't that amazing? I love talking with Joel and Hey, before we go, just make sure to click on the next episode. If it's available, just click on it. Uh, it is definitely worth it. More funny stories, more good times, laughs, and again, just the things that come out of Joel's mouth. <laughs> this guy is so good. Um, and if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast, share it with another prevention specialist, counselor, principal, uh, anybody who works with youth, if you think it might be helpful. Uh, that way we can keep doing the podcast and serving people. I really appreciate you. Have a great day. Keep impacting lives. <laughs>